guys, uh, so this is an episode of a Late Night Ruckus, and it's it's been a while, but uh, I'm pretty excited to have my, my guest here tonight. It's my good friend, uh, Phil, Phil Zolniski. Phil, how's it going? I'm pretty well. Pretty excited to be on the podcast. We've been uh, trying to make this happen for the past couple months, and you know, kept getting pushed back, but here we are, midnight, <laughs> on a Friday night. What else could you be doing but this? <laughs> <laughs> Probably a lot, but uh, other things, but I think this is this is a good substitute. Uh, but it's listen. It's called late night and ruckus for a yeah. reason. We make uh, ruckus late at night. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, one of the things I really enjoy about having you on here is that we always have like really good discussion about like culture, politics, history, and obviously right now we have a lot going on in the world. So really, what I wanted to start with obviously is the Ukraine Russia, Russia crisis, and uh, I don't. I'm not asking you just because you've got uh, you know some Russian and Ukrainian heritage. So I don't want to make you the de facto expert on it. No, we're just we're talking about you're very well read and scholarly. So I think it would be a, a good talk. Um, Definitely. So yeah, we're in a bit of a crazy situation. So you have two camps here, where we have. The U.S. a non-interventionist policy, right? I yeah. know you're talking. <laughs> you know you're a fan of um, ri- um not rising and now it's breaking points with Sagar and Crystal yeah, and, yeah. and people in that camp where it's like stay out of it. Uh, yeah, the more hesitant camp. Yeah, Joe Biden's more very more cautious, but then you have more hawkish people, maybe a little bit in the Republican Party. You know, like Lindsey Graham. That's who I was thinking of. Um, so, yeah, can you can you take me through? So, like, what? So you I, would would be safe to say that you you're a non-interventionist camp? Yeah, to an extent. I mean, you know, there's uh, red lines to everything. I'm just, uh, you know, when you're dealing with a nuclear power, there are no winners when nukes are involved. So you have to tread very carefully. But at the same time, you can't just, you know, buck and do nothing to, uh, you know, another power that is just testing your boundaries. Yeah, there has to be some sort of resistance at some point. But you don't want to be the source of that resistance. Okay, so getting to the source of it, like, so the Ukraine, Ukrainians are clearly the source of that resistance, and I think that they're unbelievably holding well, and you see it with countries like Israel, where, you know, in the, in the 70s and 67 and 73, where it's like you're back, when you're fighting for something, you, un, you understand it, even if you're outmatched, it makes you a tough force, but the question is, though, Russia is, like yeah. you said, in, Economically, I wouldn't say it's a superpower, but definitely militarily yeah. because of its nukes. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's so military. It's a fucking joke. I mean, like, there's the, what's the quote? They they don't have the. Uh, before this whole uh, invasion started, people were you know thought the Russian military was more confident. They thought you know it had something to show for it that Putin really revamped it. But you can see that the Russian military is disorganized. Its equipment is aging. It uh, it overestimated its. Uh, battle competency and uh, you know everything's falling apart to the point where i think the ukrainians are even staging counter uh, offensives against the russians it's just a lot worse than a super uh, superpower sh- than it should have been for a superpower yeah a lot of incompetence a lot of yeah. poor planning i mean what what i go back yeah. to is first of all the russians don't know why they're there like many of them were thought that they were in a training exercise in belarus initially yeah. It's a bunch of 18-year-olds. They have no idea what they're there for. They don't even know why they're fine. They don't, some of them, I bet, don't even know they're in Ukraine when they uh, first get in. And, and they told that they were going to be liberators. And what, what I find interesting is, first of all, Putin has been using this denazification of Ukraine. And, yeah, there are some, like, nationalists in the East that were fighting against, um, you know, pro-Russian separatists. Yeah. That was less than 2% of the population. Like, 
the, in the in the political party, their party won less than two percent. So it's, it was built on lies, and then you have him saying he's going to be a liberator of Russian speakers, and it seems like he's winding up massacring Russian speakers. Yeah, I mean, you know, that argument would have more validity if you just stopped at the Donbass uh, region and this, uh, that other independent state. If you just, you know, I'm not saying he should have invaded those uh, territories, but if he just invaded those and didn't go beyond, then he would have had some claim being like, you know, I'm just there to liberate the Russian people, but... Second, he sent soldiers past that. That's when, you know, you could see uh, his whole argument against NATO and his whole argument to liberate the Russian people and all that. That was just smoke and mirrors, just to take over the whole country and further Russia, Russian expansion. Okay, so that was a guy. So, so what do you, so when you go to Russian, like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Like, what I'm is, sorry? when you go towards Russian expansion, yeah. like, what do you mean by that? Oh, I mean, like, to what the Soviet Union was or the Russian uh, Imperial Empire was, like, to those borders, like the Baltic states, uh, Ukraine, Moldova. Because Moldova's probably going to be next, or, you know, strong possibility of it being next. But pretty much Russia expanding to its borders, like, you know, for most of the 20th century and uh, before. Because I'm pretty sure that's what Putin, uh, in his head, that's what he sees as Russia. And he sees, I think, anything that's on the contrary as just, like, you know, fake or just as a temporary thing. I don't think he really respects a lot, a lot of sovereign borders. And the whole Ukraine invasion is just case in point of that mentality. That's actually interesting. because That's where you see the dichotomy between China and Russia, at least in that sense, where they do seem to have sovereign... They have claims over certain... like, And there's a lot of dispute over Tibet and Taiwan, of course, but they do seem to come out with statements saying they respect sovereign borders. Yeah. And this pushed them in a bit of a, bit of a bind. Um, I do want to go back to you on the point where you're saying that Putin sees himself as either like a imperialist Russia, like a czar, or a Soviet Union. Now he is someone who could describe the Soviet Union and, and its collapse as the greatest tragedy in the 20th century. I'm, I'm sure most sane humans would would differ. Uh, but yeah. like, what is his mold? Like, what is, what is he viewing history? He obviously, is a is someone who is very interested in and attuned to history. But like, what is what is forming his perspective here? Is it Tsar Nicholas II that was ousted, or was it? Is it more of a Stalin-esque, uh, Lenin, in Soviet kind of mold for for Russia? Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who grew up in the fifties. You know, he uh, grew up to uh, you know in a stereotypical communist Russian household. His both his parents worked in the factories. I think in Saint Petersburg. Yeah, that's the city he grew up in. And, uh, you know, he always uh, wanted something more, and he was very devoted to the uh, Soviet government to the point where he begged to be a KGB officer, and, you know, in the beginning, he uh, was denied it, and, uh, you know, essentially, like, informally, the KGB was like, you know, go go become a, uh, go, go, go to school, go to university, study economics, and all that stuff, and then, you know, uh, someone will talk to you, and eventually that did happen, and uh, he became a KGB officer. And, you know, that's the background of how he started. But uh, Putin has, like, a couple historical, Russian historical figures he admires. And it's an interesting range of different Russian figures, like Catherine the Great, Stalin, and there's a couple others. So, wait, wait, so you're saying these are the people that he um, looks up to? Yeah, he has the bust of Catherine the Great. When he was giving that pre-invasion speech, there were, I believe there was a bust of Catherine the Great in that camera shot that he was staring at every time he spoke of, like, you know, Crimea. or like I don't know if he mentioned Crimea, but every time he mentioned, like, you know, uh, Russia Gomianus borders. He was uh, imagining her. So he, uh, I don't think he's not a communist per se, but he's just he admires any Russian leader that uh, really, really showed the true power, the quote unquote true power of Russia, and that uh, 
use the military to accomplish those goals and you know who is really fearful and I, I I would say Stalin is definitely I think probably one of his top figures and I don't think it's that he's a communist so much it's more of just the way he wielded his power and the way people were scared and that you know no one really uh questioned what he did and I think that's what promotes Putin's perspective is that he sees himself in a similar light yeah I would say I mean just looking at his lifestyle and his his, I guess, form of cronyism with, I mean, he's ousted and, and ruined the lives of some oligarchs, but, you know, a lot of them, you know, he, he has consolidated power around. Uh, so what I would think is that he's probably sees the vestiges of the Soviet Union as, a, as it's like the glory of what Russia could be in the consolidation of power in Moscow, but Definitely. really, in, but sees and looks at that as, as something that's, guiding him but really in practice wants to create an imperial russia oh definitely i mean that's <laughs> everything he's done has been in support of that he's gotten rid of the oligarchs he's consolidated his power he's killed uh, any semblance of a free speech not that it existed so much strongly in russia but he's pretty much gotten any rid of any dissenting voices he's gotten full dictatorship yeah i i mean they're pulling to the point where any slight semblance of a protest uh, is being people are being pulled off the streets yeah Oh, that's truly horrible. Like you, it's like maybe just you know don't start wars your people don't want. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that, and it seems like he is losing control. I mean that's why he he gave a rally the other day, and it looked like he was embodying like a Trump level of not that it's comparable, but in terms of just some embodying like what he feels is a populist message that will resonate with the um, his base, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's been times where he's pretty much been, like, quote, like, I guess, trolling us, just, uh, you know, taking the stuff we do and uh, throwing it right back at us. You know, the whole special military invasion that's uh, referenced when we went in Iraq, and that was special uh, military invasion against uh, weapons of mass destruction or what we saw as an oppressive uh, regime. And, you know, that's the same logic that Putin used to make Ukraine. And on top of that, uh, you know, when, when uh, any of his cr critics are saying, oh, he's just going in there for, you know, power or this and that he he's just calling that uh, argument like part of the book argument or uh it's pretty much just th throwing our uh logical arguments right back at us and kind of just saying like you know just because in the west you get to have fun with this doesn't mean it'll fly here i don't know if that made sense but that's essentially no no I, <laughs> I i get it yeah. i i i do want to get to the point that we were talking about earlier where you have the two camps, right? The non-interventionist, and we have to do something, right? Yeah. And, and and everybody could look at these horrible images and, and obviously invokes a sense of emotion, like we have to do something. But there's also a rational state of mind at, that you do have to have. So I'm, I don't want to put you in a tough spot, but I just want to get curious perspective. What should the United States be doing? I think what we're doing is what I would recommend we're doing. We're sending military aid, uh, you know, in forms such as anti-tank missiles and Stinger missiles, and those have really been making a difference in the fight. And I think as long as Ukraine has those weapons, it looks like they're really holding their ground, but I think doing anything beyond what we're doing, like supplying them with fighter jets or any, you know, more offensive military weapons would look like an act of war. And, you know, we could easily get dragged into World War Three and a conflict that spreads out of Ukraine's borders, because... We have to look at the bigger picture. The bigger picture is not letting this conflict spread outside Europe, which I'm really thankful that Biden has had this mentality. Because you know, once that happens, there are no winners in that. There's just losers, and even more, and even more losers. So we have to be able to contain this conflict, but at the same time, give at least some chance to the Ukrainians. 
And I think what the U.S. has been doing has been pretty uh, effective in accomplishing those goals because, you know, this invasion was supposed to be done by now in Russia's eyes. And instead, they're stalled. They're, their whole invasion is stalled. They're not making any progress. Uh, what's it called? The permafrost season is uh, pretty much over. The the ground is becoming mud, so their armored vehicles are having a lot of trouble transfer, uh, traversing the terrain. They have to take the roads, and, you know, that's perfect for the Ukrainians, because guess what they can destroy a bunch of on their own in <laughs> tanks and armored personnel vehicles. So, uh, you know, the longer this conflict continues on, the higher the advantage will be in the Ukrainians' fla- uh, uh, what's called favor, you know, with the status quo continued. Well, see, that, that I agree with, and but the the thing is, and that these sanctions will eventually bleed um, these military operations dry, and it's it like Putin will be fighting whatever. There's no winners really in this, but Putin will be fight. Let's say Russia because they do have the manpower, right? They're going to be fighting an insurgency that they're just not going to win. They already are, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Perhaps it's even it's a testament to the Ukrainians um, th- th- that's already started, but. These sanctions will eventually bleed Russia's ability to fuel this war dry, and and, and it's already going to see ramifications on its civilians. But someone who we talked about putting earlier, seeing like a a greater glory for Russia, I mean, his mindset is though is he's playing the long game here. I mean, he's willing to have his people suffer and his economy suffer, which you know, the pursuit of some warped view of history that he wants to reclaim. Yeah, I mean, it kind of seems like part of his goal is also to change the whole geopolitical structure of the world. Because by upsetting the, like, you know, global oil uh, markets, in a way, it's uh, pretty much a challenge to our power. Because, uh, what's it called? You know, petrodollars are pretty pretty much, uh, you know, good source of uh, faith in our in our currency. And I think Putin's trying to upset that order by creating uh, chaos in the market, by... You know, getting us through. Look at Venezuela or Saudi Arabia and all that, because like, uh, and I, I think part of that part of that's been falling in his plan, because like oil prices have gone up, and also like when uh, the U.S. has uh, tried to get oil from Saudi Saudi Arabia and uh, United Arab Emirates, they pretty much essentially told the president to go, fu- you know, screw off or whatever. And uh, and now and recently there was an announcement made that uh, I believe is the Emiratis said they're. Uh, Gonna start accept they're willing to accept the Chinese yuan for uh, their petrodollars, and I'm pretty sure Putin has had some ha- some hand in helping establish that. And I think Putin will use that to pretty much get his oil back in the market. So I think these economic sanctions in the short term will be painful to Russia, but I don't think in the long term they'll uh, achieve the effect that uh, a lot of politicians wanted wanted to do. It'll be painful for Russia, sure, but Russia is already looking for alternative sources to fund their war. But, uh, I mean, it's definitely a challenge for him, but I think Putin will find a way around it. I mean, not to the, not to the strength the Russian economy had before these sanctions, but definitely some relief. Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, the problem is Europe is so dependent on Russia's natural gas and oil. So it's, I, that's why I think when people say that we should be so scared of Putin with nukes, it's like, I think he's acting pretty rationally. He saw what they did in 08 in Georgia. The Bush... Actually, Bush, I, I did like that he sent uh, Condoleezza Rice to um, Tbilisi because that kind of was like a line in the sand. Like, if you go any further, like, you're risking more. And it yeah. seems like he backed down. That's why I think he does behave rationally. It's like, get in when the going is hot. And it's like, I don't know if he, he will threaten these nukes. I don't know if he will use them. Maybe if NATO gets involved. I I don't know. But 
So it's still not a guarantee. I mean, the probability definitely goes from like, you know, zero <laughs> to 1% to like, you know, 40 to 50%. But I mean, either way, that's, you're playing with the nuclear hot potato. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, it, it's tough. But but the thing is that like in 2014, we didn't do anything. So now, he, I mean, and I think this time it, 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 it came back, it blew back. He wasn't expecting a reaction like this. But yeah, he woke a sleeping beast in Europe. Okay, so, but all right, so we saw three NATO member prime ministers. I think it was Czech Republic was one. I think yeah. Slovakia was the other. Yeah, Slovakia was another. I can't remember the third. Yeah. So they went to Kiev and to make a statement. And some people were like, no, like if something happened to you guys, that, there's World War Three. Yeah, I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> but I think that sending an American ranking high level diplomat, I don't think Biden per se, but Blinken or Kamala Harris or. Sure, so, let's send Kamala Harris there. But, I mean, I, I'm in favor of that. I mean, I'm not talking about her rhetoric, more so of just like a statement that the United States right. is supporting Ukraine full and, full and through. Like, you know, we're investing now, and I think yeah. that that would be a line in the sand that Putin wouldn't cross, but I don't know. Let's. I, I mean, Putin still bombed Kiev, one of those three European leaders who were riding in by train, so I don't know. With, uh, with Putin, it's. Uh, Kind of unpredictable what he'll do, because even uh, in situations where you think he won't, you know, shell the city or do strikes, he, he very well still can. Yeah, I. Yeah, I, he has. That's the thing. He's uh, he's unpredictable. Uh, but should we do have nukes to like? This is my problem. It's like we are the strongest nation on earth, and we're supposed to espouse all these liberties, right? And you look at. The 80s, and I know that people will say that intervention is not a great thing, and okay, there's downsides to it, but Mm -hmm. the United States was a beacon of hope, not only because it espoused certain values of free speech and and just American democracy, but it it actively supported what the freedom fighters, whether the the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, not saying that turned out great, but (laughs) the the Contras in in Nicaragua, or, you know, the, the... the workers in in Poland or any 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 stance against communism, uh, the U.S. was supporting and maybe for better or worse that you know we shouldn't be interfering with yeah. foreign governments. I was gonna say the only time I worked on philosophy was in Grenada. That's a weak invasion. What's it called? The uh, Soviet communists or the Soviet influence got kicked out, and uh, you know but Reagan actually got a lot of flack for that though because he did that without he without even like any. Congressional oh, yeah, yeah, delegated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah kind of didn't find out until the morning of that. Well, you know, we were right invading the country, but you know, the invasion was over by Monday. So how bad could it be? <laughs> we yeah. can learn a lesson or two. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. It's a lot easier to act on stuff when you, when there's no blowback. Like yeah. shooting down a, a plane. You know, have, creating a no fly zone over Iraq is a lot different than creating a no fly zone over uh, Syria, where you know you shoot down a Russian plane, and yeah, and that's a. Yeah, yeah, and I was gonna say Syria was the training training ground for Russia and Ukraine because they committed horrific war crimes in Syria, and I'm, what's it called? It's still disputed, but I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be surprised if they targeted our own soldiers through a proxy because uh, I wouldn't put it past the Russian military at all because they're indiscriminately targeting their own civilians time and not only in Ukraine but time and time again. What's stopping them from targeting other other countries and militaries and civilians? So I think the scale of like Russian war crimes, Russian atrocities are a lot higher than it's made to be public. Yeah, no, I agree that yeah. the you know training ground in Syria and the world just let it happen too. Yeah. So that, I mean, I mean, 
to be fair, I feel like uh, you know our foreign what's it called our foreign policy approach when it first started uh, exacerbated the situation. Yeah, I mean that's it. Just becomes a. Because yeah, once we got involved in there, we just started fuel to the fire. Before you knew it, you had, and before you knew it, you had like five or six different countries all trying to get their piece of their uh, the pot or the pie. So it's like once you and once you have uh, you know different powers vying for one piece of land, it just becomes chaotic, and you know, that's where it with Ukraine right now is that that will happen the longer this conflict draws out. So, do you? Do you see us returning to a Cold War type proxy warfare? Let's say the U.S. doesn't get involved, yeah. and we're funding insurgencies. Are we back to to the Cold War era of just proxy warfare without direct conflict? I don't know, just because like you know the rules of warfare have changed. There's cyber warfare now, and you know there's uh, economic warfare. So I think <clears throat> you know I guess the Ukraine in a way is a proxy war for you know both sides because we're supplying the Ukrainians weapons to fight against. Uh, superpower in order to you know contain our power in uh, eastern europe but i i think uh the proxy wars of today will be a lot more um less fighting but like i think when the fighting is erupt it'll be a lot uglier and a lot more horrific like we're seeing in ukraine so i think it'll be uh you know it won't be as massive as it was during the cold war like with uh vietnam or um what's it called yeah i, I guess I, I can't think of uh it's late. Yeah. <laughs> it is late. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough uh, to see, but I one thing I think we both agree on is that the geopolitical landscape now has has changed. I mean, we're going back to like infringing on sovereign nations. Yeah. Like physically with with war. <laughs> yeah. And that's not already want to go down, especially in the Tom Cage, just because you know there are no heroes in a nuclear war. There's only losers and. It's kind of uh, futile, futile to even start any of these wars because, you know, it's almost like Russia wants a confrontation with us. And uh, it's like they have the suicide wish, or at least Putin does. I mean, the Russian people, I don't, I don't believe they have that suicide wish. I don't even think they know what's really going on over there because, you know, they think we're all a bunch of, uh, you know, brainwashed, uh, you know, corrupt, corrupt citizens who don't know any better. <laughs> Ironically... It's like, what well, we think of the same thing with Russians, but, you know, they believe every word that, uh, you know, their leader says, and they only have, like, one, really one source of news. At least here, we have a lot more divers- diversified, uh, you know, sources of our inter- information ecosystem. That's, that's actually, I, I, I want to ask you about that, though, because like, thinking of diversified and James, we, we have RT here, and, and they seem to like to hire a lot of American and and Canadian like like comics and, and TV show hosts like like do you do you have like what, what what's behind that like funding that in like Western countries? I was wondering that. <laughs> I I thought we just looked at RT suspiciously. I mean, it's it always seem to me like they're trying too hard to seem like independent and objective. But you know, when I look at Russia, I'm just like that's not what they do with a lot of their media there. So I'm just like, I, I don't know, I just always have questions, but I mean, as of now, RT has uh, suspended operations in the U.S., so. Was that, was that because of American policy, or do you know? Uh, I forget, I think either American <laughs> or in retaliation. I think, no, I think RT just uh, did that decision at the behest of Putin. Oh, uh, oh. So, well, I feel like we, we, we messed it up from the beginning. Like, you, Ukraine had, like, inherited 3,000 nukes at the end of the, uh, the cold... The, yeah. the uh, dissolving of the Soviet Union. Like, 
Why did they give it up? Because Russia and U.S. promised, like, oh, you give it up and, like, you'll be Africa, okay. China also promised. China is actually breaking its promise by not defending Ukraine against Russia. Really? Yeah, because China specifically said that uh, if Ukraine gives up all its nukes, it'll uh, defend Ukraine against any uh, threats to its sovereignty. And they signed an treaty in Russia. And, I mean, China isn't upholding that at all. <laughs> And now what I I think, and I think Ben Shapiro has made this point, that if you're a country without a nuke and you're on the borders of a country like Russia or China, like Japan or South Korea, and you're not not so sure if other Western countries can come in and and back you, especially the United States. Wait, did you say Japan Japan doesn't have a nuke? No, because they have the assurance of the U.S. military behind them, which is hence why all their bases are there. Yeah, I mean... I feel like, I feel like there's probably like a couple of nuclear weapons in that country unofficially. You think so? I wouldn't be surprised. They actually did put a line yeah. in the sand against Russia recently. Yeah. So yeah. Well, we're, going, we're going back to the uh, what's it called? Good old days of the uh, Russo-Japanese conflict. <laughs> well, then in consolation, Japan won that war, right? Yeah. <laughs> I I don't another. But I do. I want to look this 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 quote up um, with um, JFK. I can't find it on. Um, I, is that the one you sh- showed me a couple? Of days yeah, uh, and that that had to do with right. Like we're not, we shouldn't rush into right nuclear war, mm-hmm. but we shouldn't just. I mean, just we're par- obviously I'm paraphrasing, but we shouldn't just. Uh, be so scared for, of confrontation when it comes to our values that just because new, uh, Putin threatens nukes, we shouldn't do something. I mean, is there any semblance of truth to that? I mean, I mean, there's a limit to it because, like, what what is that something we can do? I mean, I was not sure what the other options are besides, uh, you know, what we've done with supplying weapons and aid, and, you know, satellite intelligence with the Ukrainians. Because, like, the only other stuff I can think of is a. Uh, no fly zone, but that would be a full-on direct conflict with Russian troops. So, I can, I just uh, what's up? I can't imagine any uh, any other scenarios that'll uh, be favorable. But uh, <laughs> I'm open to any other uh, ideas to uh, so you, resolutions of the situation. You don't agree with the mix of being delivered. What if Ukrainian pilots could could pick it up? Well, I mean. I don't know what the whole like you know background would have to be. I guess they would have to be like painted over and you know stuff like that. But I guess if it's worked out in a way that it doesn't look like uh, you know NATO planes and supply from NATO, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, I think because I think yeah. we 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 have to do more because it's just horrific, horrific war crimes that are going on. Yeah. Uh, I mean. Yeah, but I mean. What's it called? The uh, result of us getting involved would be a lot worse than those war crimes. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's the way we have to look at it. Because I know I keep hearing uh, you know Zelensky, and I understand why he's asking for this, but like some you know hawkish politicians here asking for another flight zone. But I just don't see the benefit of of it because what's what's it called if this conflict spreads beyond Europe. Besides the uh, beyond Ukraine, it's not good for anyone. It's not good for us. It'll be even worse for Ukraine, because then all bets are off. Russia will use use any weapons to destroy that. So it just seems seems like us getting more involved will lead to a worse outcome than us not getting involved. Unless you know Russia breaks that tripwire of sending you know soldiers to Poland or attacking Poland or any of uh, you know the NATO allies. Well, then the NATO has to respond. Yeah, that at that point Russia has forced our hand and. Uh, 
Yeah, it's it's a tough situation, but I will say uh, Zelensky has has shown to me a remarkable wartime leader. I'm, I Definitely, can't even yeah. think of like 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 Churchill, right? Yeah. Uh, and it, it kind of goes to show that like leaders come from all like truly like walks of life, right? Yeah. Like, like I was thinking about it a couple of times. Like, I can't name a single politician living today in the United States. That I could look to in a in a time like thank God we have such a huge country that's really can't be invaded and such a yeah. powerful military. But like in a time of real crisis when there's a blitzkrieg going on over London or you know you need someone to who's the Cuban Missile Crisis going we're on the brink of nuclear yeah. war. Like I can't think. Can you name any politician in the United States that you would be like all right like that that's a steady hand that and and, and maybe some some politicians are just not good leaders during. Um, regular times, like Churchill struggled after the war when he was reelected, right in the in the early fifties. Yeah. But and some are just amazing wartime leaders. But like, can you think of any? So maybe maybe someone could rise to But you think of any politician that you would look to and be like, I, I feel safe with this him or her at the helm. Like, <laughs> you know, you know, you're laughing to say uh, for saying this, but I feel like Obama to some extent, just like the way he talked and his speech writing. Like, I feel like if I heard him talk, I'd be like, okay, it's like even though I know. You're not the the best. I still feel some comfort in the way you said those things. Cause like you know what, you could argue whatever you want to say about uh, about Obama, but he definitely wasn't afraid to use American power. Cause like under his presidency, the most amount of drone bombs were dropped. So he was he was definitely a leader who uh, definitely utilized the military to accomplish his policy goals. Yeah, that is, that is. I don't know if he would be considered a hero, but he's definitely a man. Was a man of action and a man of uh, speeches and intervention. I mean, yeah. look at Libya. Yeah, which uh, I, I mean that 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 uh, didn't go so well. Well, but, and I, I uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean it was a film, but I was just testing yeah. it to I guess some action. But. Yeah, but interestingly enough, I'm sure Putin was watching uh, what happened to Gaddafi in Libya, and uh, I'm sure he's thinking about that in his mind, where you know Gaddafi got uh, caught by rebels and that's uh, all. Well, that's why North Korea was like, why would I ever, why would we ever give up our nukes? Like, yeah. this is what you do to countries that don't have nukes yeah. that you don't agree with their their policies. And I mean, from their standpoint, I mean, that would make sense just based on the history. Yeah. But I, I mean, Zelensky really kind of reminds me of, of, of Truman in terms of just the way of the world falling on their sh- his shoulders. Like Truman, you know, apparently he was a decent, he was the only president to serve in World War One, and he... But he failed at it. Like he wasn't a remarkable student. He doesn't. He had a mm-hmm. a small business that failed, and he didn't want to be president. And he had no intention to be vice president. Yeah. And he was pushed by the Democratic Party. FDR didn't want him as president as his running mate. And he said the weight of the world fell on his, you know his shoulders. Like when 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 FDR died. And but he he did right. I mean you know you could dispute his presidency, but he rose to the occasion. And it, and it seems like. And you could dispute, you know, a nuclear bomb. But that's one of the hardest decisions. I think that's the hardest decision any human being has ever made in the history of mankind. Oh, definitely. Like, I'm sure for Truman it was a very hard decision. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized he's made the wrong decision. Because the second we launched the nukes, we, we forever changed the future of humanity. Now, because now there's a strong likelihood and we could all... But, I mean, we haven't used them yet. Again, in, in terms of warfare. Yeah, in terms of warfare, but uh, what's it called? For a good 10, 10 to 15 years, we kept testing them over and over. Not only us, Russia, China, and uh, what's it called? The U.S. Mil- uh, military was testing them right outside Las Vegas and all these cities, and just a lot of radi- radiation poison, uh, pollution from it. 
So I just think, you know, the second we uh, started started uh, using nukes is the second we kind of signed our death sentence. I mean, maybe I'm being overdramatic, but <laughs> but I just uh, I just think people need to understand how serious the nuclear threat is because the second one is used, the likelihood of thousands being used just goes up instantly from just being, you know, a far away uh, likelihood to being very likely. So that's that's uh, the nuclear hot potato we're playing with. And I think ideally... You know, we need to get rid of nuclear weapons, but I don't think that will happen because, uh, you know, a lot of states are very self-interested. But just, uh, <laughs> I personally do not feel comfortable with that. So, but but the uh, the end goal is to have no nuclear weapons, but it's like, can you trust your enemy to actually comply with these? Like, do you trust the Iran deal? I, I think, I don't think it's a smart move to reinstate it. <laughs> but, I don't know, we'll see. I mean... Better to have some talk and some dialogue and some compromise. And, you know, we could follow that uh, Reagan quote, and that's like, trust but verify. Uh, that's a good quote. Yeah. <laughs> In regards to actually, uh, you know, it's also related to uh, nuclear, uh, I believe it was a Star Treaty, where it was nuclear. Star Wars? Game. Not Star Wars, the Star Treaty. Oh, it's the uh, Strategic Defense Initiative? Uh, I, I, one of those. The one where uh, the treaty uh, he signed with, uh, what's it called, uh, the Soviet Union to uh, decrease the amount of nuclear weapons. And uh, I think I think it was right after reporter asked him, "Well, do you trust the Russians?" Like, yes, I trust, but verify. Yeah, <laughs> and that's uh, that's the approach we have to have. It's like we, I mean, one side has to be willing to give up nuclear weapons in order for the other side to, but you can't just take them on the word either. So, I mean, South Africa, did, <laughs> Ukraine did it, mm-hmm. but now I don't think it was looking like now looking in hindsight, like any country that would ever consider giving up their nuke is like, well, look what happened. Yeah, yeah. See, and that's the problem. Let's use one nuclear weapon, then everyone. Everyone knows that's the that's the norm now. Even though it's not the norm, but that's the norm that uh, a lot of countries see it as. And 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 the idea that you could go, you could be a a, a Western like oh like you show that you you're shifting towards the West, or you're becoming close to the West, or you're becoming close to China, which a lot of African and even Caribbean nations because they invest a lot there. But now it's like I can't. We can't be so sure because Ukraine wanted to become part of the West. They wanted to be part. Sixty-eight percent of them approved joining um, NATO, mm-hmm. and most of them join um, support joining the EU. And they ousted a pro-Russian um, 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 president, and and now the West doesn't really seem to have their back in terms of statements and funding. But they don't have their back in terms of actually the the, the whole might of, of of NATO or the United States. I mean, we never really guaranteed that. that they were never really a NATO, NATO country. I mean, sure, they, uh, you know, shared some of the val- democratic values and, uh, you know, westernized, but we never made a security guarantee. <laughs> yeah, I... That's true, but I mean, I just, I just, I just feel like the... This is where I'm conflicted because it's like... I have to be rational, like you said, in all yeah. the points. And, I, and ultimately, I agree with that, right? Like, a no-fly zone would be horrible and... But at the same time, like, what is the point of espousing all these values if you can't spread them around the world? <laughs> but, I mean, that's fine. I mean, my, my in the a, greater picture of things, that's fine. Sure, it's not heroic. It's not uh, honorable. But in the bigger picture, as long as people aren't dying from a horrific world war, I think that's worth the cost. Because sometimes, you know, as a leader, you have to do decisions that are unpopular that make you look, like, dishonorable. Because, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it'll save everyone. And... You know, that's part of the toughness that I'm sure Truman had to face when he dropped the nuke. And, uh, you know, FDR had to face when he was uh, when Pearl Harbor got bombed. 
there are just uh, you know times where you're gonna make decisions where you know it doesn't seem like you know what should be done, but it has to be done because if no one does it, who how does humanity get saved? And you know that's part of the existential question that's happening in Ukraine. <laughs> it's like all these different. Uh, uh, trajectories that are just cr- uh, colliding with each other <laughs> right now in Ukraine, and uh, I think that's why these times are so unpredictable and so uh, terrifying. And Putin's definitely taking advantage of that to try to mold Russia into uh, like a, into that as a new world uh, world superpower. Yeah, I, I just, I yeah, I just think that you know, if anything, it, it's shown that uh, you know. You know, Ukrainian people are willing to fight in there, and it's going to be, and Russia's going to face a long run up out of that. In the end, they they, they can't win. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I mean, and I think that it just uh, in that sense, we still have hope. We have hope for you know Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I um. You know, this is uh. This is actually my um. Only my second in person uh, interview, so I actually really enjoy these more than doing it over Zoom. Oh, well, podcast. Sure. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's probably you know a delay, a lag with Zoom. At least in person, you get to hear the sound immediately. There's no like uh, like feedback or anything like that. Yeah, and it's also it, 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 and I've had great conversation over Zoom, but it definitely it's a different feeling and vibe from it too. Yeah. So that's cool. No, Phil, I really, I'm really glad you've been on here, and like, um, thank you for uh, for joining the late night Ruckus podcast tonight. I anytime. How long were we talking for? I don't, I don't know. know my, time I usually we usually yeah. aim, I usually aim for like uh, thirty to like forty minutes. Yeah. I think that I think we probably hit over that. Oh really? Wow. That's I don't. Cool. I mean, I don't know. It's it's twelve forty eight. I don't know what time we started. I don't know either. I feel but, like we started at twelve. <laughs> uh, I mean, I went back pretty quick. Yeah, no, yeah. But, but Phil, thank you for being on. I'd love to have yeah. you on again. I mean, there's so much to talk about. All right, my pleasure. We'll talk about the next <laughs> crazy thing that happens in international politics. I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure that that'll happen sometime soon. Yeah, I mean, it's like about uh, Omicron and new variants back, so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <that's> past news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Phil, thank you for being on. Yeah, anytime.